and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Fred Katz is in the building. How you doing, Fred? It's our beautiful, lovely beat writer for the New York Knicks. Just one of the best people who write about basketball in the industry. Fred, I'm so happy you're here. Well, I am uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be in the virtual building. I'm excited to talk some award stuff. I... I there, there are very few times when I'm, I'm actively excited about getting assigned homework, but I, I like <laughs> prepping for the, for the awards pod stuff. It's like yeah. being a awards voter is, is, is incredibly cool, and I've done it the last three years for like the real awards, and it's, yeah. it's incredibly cool, but it's unbearably stressful, and this is all the fun of it without any stress at all, so it's great. Well, yeah, like I think that A, I wanted to have you on because I know how seriously you take it. B, I wanted to have you on because you're an awards voter. Like you you vote on these awards legitimately. Like you are a piece of the puzzle in terms of who is going to get these awards. And, you know, you are not someone that's going to go, uh, oh, this guy is a fucking terrible person. I'm not going to vote for him. Like that dude for the uh, who writes about like Chicago sports it about Aaron Rodgers. I saw that. No, that is a- I would definitely not. I I only saw the tweets about that. I kind of like cold turkey stopped following football. I used to be obsessed with the NFL and I just yeah. it's like it's like my knowledge of football was kind of like like I was like cryogenically frozen in 2015 <laughs> and I still think that like Geno Smith is the Jets starting quarterback. But oh no. Uh but but yeah, I saw the tweet about that and based just on the tweet, which is really all the context we need to develop opinions on things nowadays. That didn't seem like the best decision. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I listened to it. Uh, I listened to like the whole thing that he said. Wasn't much better than the tweet. <laughs> uh, I just want to make sure that people know, like there are people that take this very seriously. Like I would say a majority of the voters, they may not take it as seriously as Fred does. Cause I know like you get fucking stressed about it. But like, oh, I lose, I lose sleep. Yeah, I take, I take, like double digit hours looking at. I remember two years ago because it was, it was, it was like during the pandemic when there were no sports and they decided they were going to do the awards before they came back for the bubble. Right, and I shouldn't say during the pandemic as if we're no longer in the pandemic, but it was during the <laughs> when every single thing was shut down and I had nothing, and I was like, I was at a point where I was like scrutinizing i watched like an hour and a half of jackson hayes pick and roll defense because i was like i need to know if it's okay to leave him off all rookie second team like and it. it's amazing <laughs> I, was, I was really that was that was maybe a little bit over that, the that, top, was, that was a low point for your boy fred katz <laughs> yeah just a just a low point in life for real okay i didn't even end up putting him on I was like, okay, you know what? I'm okay not putting him second team. That was the right call, not putting Jackson Hayes on, because uh, he was not an all-rookie guy that year. Um, okay. We're going to do MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, Coach of the Year, Most Improved, Rookie of the Year, and then we're going to do All-NBA. I didn't I didn't do all-defense teams. Like, I'll be honest. Like I, just, I did all-defense. You did all de- – Look, I can mm-hmm. like probably bounce some like off the top of my head, but like it wouldn't be as um, in depth necessarily as what I think we're going to get from uh, you on that front. So maybe, maybe we'll just do it real quick at the end. Um, cool. But okay, let, let's just jump in. 
MVP right now, I think, is a fascinating race insofar as I do think that there is one clear, obvious pick right now for who the MVP of the NBA is in 2021-2022 in the first half of the season. I also think that it is pretty wide open in terms of the way that it could go toward the end of the season. How do you feel about MVP and how it's shaking out uh, early on this year? I think it's plausible we're going to disagree. Because I don't think there is one clear and obvious choice. I mean, okay. should I should I reveal who I put number one? How are we doing this? Yeah, let, let's start with your ballots on all of this. So all right. Should me, I just read them off? Should I just read off my, my top five? Go five to one, yeah. All right. So number five, I had DeMar DeRozan. Yep. That's uh, also who I have at five. Just the dude's been unreal. And, and, and you know, with DeMar... I, I, I am all for the analytical concept that clutch time performance does past clutch time performance does not indicate how somebody will perform in future clutch time. Normally yes. over a larger sample size, somebody will regress not to the mean, but to wherever their personal mean is. If you're a great player, you'll you'll end up playing great in clutch time. And if you're not a great player, you'll end up playing not great in clutch time. That being said, when I put together my awards ballot, I'm not voting on what would happen if we simulated out this season 100 times. Yes. I'm just voting on what actually happened in real life. And undeniably, how you actually perform in clutch time, those shots have more value. Have you yep. looked at DeMar DeRozan's clutch time numbers? I'm They're sure you have. Give them to me. Absolute insanity like you can look at the highlights which is the game winning shots and the buzzer beaters and all that and they're they're ridiculous how many three pointers clutch time by the way is defined as within five points with five or fewer five or fewer minutes left in the game how many three pointers do you think jamar DeRozan has missed in clutch time this year oh i would guess like one zero like that yeah zero he's averaging 43 points per 36 minutes he is shooting 58% from the field, 100% from three, and 88% from the line. Yeah. The dude has been unfreaking believable and deserves all the praise that he's been getting. Yeah, no, I, I'm really glad that you picked Damar. I was worried that I was going to be out on an island with Damar until I actually looked at the, um, the betting odds right now. I think Damar is fifth or sixth right now with the betting odds. So, like, I, I'm glad that people are recognizing this. The only thing that gave me pause was having to sit there for a second and go, okay, is DeMar DeRozan the best player on the Bulls? Like when teams sit down and scout Chicago night in, night out, are they most worried about DeMar or are they most worried about Zach, right? I I, I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. Like, I think different teams will have different mileage on that either way. But this is the number one team in the East, and even with that, I think DeMar has been the best player on the number one team in the Eastern Conference as of the time we're recording this, which is on Thursday in the United States at 4 o'clock, or what is it, 4 o'clock your time? 3 o'clock? Something like that? 3.15 my time. 3.15. So, yeah, I have no problem with DeMar being there. He's averaging 27 points and, like, what, five rebounds and four assists, something like that? Yeah, and he's a good passer. And he's, he's so important for what they do offensively. Like, you know, his his ability, whether you want to say whether he or Levine is better, and Levine's having a very good season. Totally. But 
part of the reason why I think Levine has been as good as he's been is because DeMar is able to just take over so many of those facilitating duties from him. Like, yep. like Zach can play off the ball more now. He can run around screens. I, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how great Levine is off the ball. Like, he is yeah. an incredible shooter. He's incredible when he's curving around screens. He has really good off-ball intuition. Like, yep. I him being off the ball more and DeMar being so much better of a passer than he was five years ago. I mean, he really became a, a really, really good and refined and aware passer in San Antonio. I just, I, I think it, they're a great, they're a great combination together. And, and I'm cool with throwing Levine on. I didn't have Levine on my all NBA that we did, but he's, he was right there in contention and I have no problem if somebody wants to throw him on there. I think he's yep. been, he's been great this year too. Okay. Give me number four. Uh, number four, I had Giannis. Okay. Which yeah. the, the top I think four we is probably, really tough. Yeah. I think we probably flipped three and four would be my bet. Yeah. So number give, four, give me I had your Giannis. pitch on Giannis. I had Giannis at three. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had, I mean, let's just, let's just talk about him in, in combination to three, uh, or in, in, in relation to three, I should say, which is I had Jokic number three. Yeah, right. I had Jokic at four. So yeah, yeah. we're, we're just to flipping me, the two. To me, it was just the tiebreaker was just kind of Denver absolutely annihilates teams when Jokic is on the floor. Just destroys when Jokic is on the floor. He has the most extreme on-off numbers in the league. And if you look at any of the advanced numbers, you want to look at like Raptor War, you want to look at box score plus minus, any of that stuff, win shares, it's like Jokic just... Jokic and Gobert are the guys who just destroy in those categories. And a lot of those numbers can can be a little biased towards towards bigs, so I always take them with with a little bit of extra flavor. But I mean, Jokic is just annihilating in those numbers, and yep. and that that made him put me ahead of Giannis, or that made me put him ahead of Giannis. But yeah, I, I, Giannis has been what what a defensive season he's had. Like yeah, he, he's yeah. been remarkable. That that was ultimately the tiebreaker for me as to why I went Giannis over Jokic. Uh, he has been absolutely incredible defensively. This is a team that for most of the season has not had Brook Lopez. I think he may have played a couple games, right? Like, but for ninety percent of the season, it feels like they have not had uh, Brook Lopez in the lineup. They've been doing it with like yeah, Brooke, makeshift. Brooke played literally one game. Yeah, I was going to say, they they have made it happen with these makeshift rosters, like with DeMarcus Cousins at center, and uh, they're still sitting here at number nine in defensive efficiency, uh, despite the fact that, like, Drew Holiday has missed a lot of time. And, like, you kind of look at the guys up and down the roster, like Grayson Allen has played, uh, I I believe, the third most minutes on this team. Do you know who's played the most minutes on the Milwaukee Bucks so far, by the way? Oh, geez. This is going to be like Pat Connaughton. It's Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton has played the most minutes on the Milwaukee Bucks so far. So we've got uh, Connaughton, Grayson Allen, Bobby Portis, and George Hill, and Jordan Wara, and Rodney Hood. That is six of your top nine players. I'm going to be honest. I don't think there's a good defender in that group. Like Pat Connaughton, I think gets by defensively and is like, okay, he's solid within scheme, but like, there's not a plus defender in that group. Drew holiday has missed like quite a bit of time. Uh, you know, I guess he missed what, maybe like five or six games looking at the minute totals. Now he actually hasn't missed nearly as much as what I thought he had, but you know, Chris Middleton has missed a little bit of time here and there. 
the fact that Giannis has held this defense together by a string is absolutely bonkers to me. Uh, he, his rotational ability, ability, his ability to play more center, his ability to be like the primary rim protector for a team that desperately needs it at times. Um, yeah, he, he's just been unbelievable defensively. And that's, oh, by the way, uh, while averaging 28 points, 11 rebounds, six assists, I think this is probably his best passing year that I've seen. Uh, he seems a lot more comfortable just making plays and being able to um, read what defenses are giving him as a passer. Uh, you know, he's still not really shooting threes or anything, but he looks more comfortable to take the shots that are available to him in the mid range. I-, I think that, again, this is. Uh, if not the best Giannis we've seen, it's right on par with his two MVP years at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with any of that. He's look. I'm not going to make any of these points by by denigrating any of the guys on yeah. this list. No, I, we're, if we're I talking think about you're having like the fifth MVP. best season in the NBA, it's because right. I think you're really freaking good. Right you now, yeah. Like uh, and the other thing it, that Jokic I would add been is unbelievable. Like the other thing I would add. I mean, you mentioned. Giannis having an unbelievable season. I agree with all of that. You look at the rim protection numbers, like opponents are shooting 48% on layups and dunks when Giannis is the closest defender to, the, to them right now. That's the yeah. second best figure amongst big men in the entire league behind only Rudy Gobert. And when yep. they lose Brooke Lopez, that's what Brooke Lopez's value is defensively. He is the guy yep. who is going to contest dunks and layups. And when they lose Brooke Lopez and you can have Giannis jump in, your wing basically. I don't know if he's a wing, he's a big, he's 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 a Giannis, you know? Well well when, think about when like, you have him he could jump in on that, it's it's just it's ridiculous. There's not a comparable to that. Well like think about two, I mean it's such a drastically different role in a lot of ways. Like I'm not sitting here saying that like, Oh, like he's, he's doing something entirely different. He's being like the big defender in the pick and roll constantly. Now he's not necessarily that like he is, you know, teams aren't going, Hey, let's have Giannis's guy come up in screen because we think that we can get a mismatch on Giannis or we think he's worse in drop than Bobby Portis. Right. But I think that he's making a more concerted effort to be available around the rim as necessary and then allowing himself that length to recover without Brooke Lopez around. And it's making Milwaukee still have a very high level defense, even in the absence of one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. Yeah. All that said, Jokic is also having the best defensive season of his career. He's got a rep for not not being a defender. I know that's the general rep on him. It's not true. He's he's a legitimately he's not Giannis. I mean, Giannis is a, a, a defensive player of the year caliber guy. Right. Jokic is is a legitimately good defender. He's a legitimately good rim protector. He's yep. a legitimately good team defender. All that stuff is. I mean, he's he's good. He's good. Yeah. Um, had a game saving block the other night. Uh, he's he he is he is really good. Should we move on to? Uh, Let's move on to two and one, because I think that this debate is very interesting because look, let's be clear. It's our one and our number one, our number one and number two are going to be Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant in some order. Right. So I will be very interested, given the fact that you said this is a little bit closer. I think that the way that the MVP MVP race breaks down right now is I think one and two are in a very slight tier ahead. I think three and four are in their own tier, kind of 
you know, below those two. And then I think there's like a group from five to, you know, maybe eight or nine or 10 that you could realistically vote for in that fifth spot. Um, Chris Paul was one that I considered. I considered um, like the fact that Chris Paul, it was funny. I was talking to Seth Partnow on the podcast last week. Like Chris Paul got Bismack Biombo like double digit points off the street, uh, you know, last week, twice in a row. And it's like, what are, what are we doing here? Chris Paul is like freaking unbelievable. Um, I, I considered uh, Jimmy Butler for keeping the Miami heat afloat, even though I know that he's missed quite a bit of time. I consider Paul George, uh, even though he is not struggle, he's not shot as well as what we've seen Paul George shoot in the past. It's been very impressive to me that he's kept Los Angeles afloat. Luka Doncic did not play exceedingly well to start the season. He's been better lately. I consider John Morant in this tier as well. Um, is there anyone else you consider before we move on to one and two? Uh, I, I had uh, I had Rudy Gobert as an honorable mention. Yeah, I consider Rudy's him a good there. one too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But that's just that's another one I'd add. The other guys you mentioned as well. Okay, let's go one and two now. Kevin Durant's my MVP. Okay. I, I, I don't agree. I have Steph, and I think that it should clearly be Steph. But I'm very interested to hear. Because like I think it's an interesting argument on a number of levels. Like If you ask me to say who I think the best basketball player on planet Earth is, I think I would say Kevin Durant. Like Just being totally transparent and honest, I think I would. If we're talking about who I think has been the most valuable player in the MVP so far, it's hard for me to go past Stephen Curry, given the fact that this Golden State Warriors team is the best team in the league. He has been absolutely unbelievable. He's been the critical piece as to why they run as efficiently as they do, along with Draymond Green, who will also get some love in the next category we're going to talk about. I, I think that it's totally reasonable to pick Kevin Durant on some level. I would have Steph, but let's hear from Fred why he has Kevin Durant. Superior efficiency this season. He's the best player in the league who is, and, and, and you know, other than Steph, maybe the best shooter in the league, yep. who is shooting the lights out by his standards and playing the lights out by his standards. The Nets have had injuries. They've yep. had Joe Harris out. They've had all the Kyrie stuff. Harden has not looked like the James Harden that we know. The efficiency for Harden is way down. He's not getting to the free throw line like he did. There have been so many moments where Durant has just had to flat out carry that team. And he's carried them right now to the second best record in the league. He's shooting 57% on long twos. Like, this is obscene what he's been doing this year. And you know what? I think he's been wonderful defensively. The Nets have really surprised defensively. and, And I... I don't think they're going to finish the year where they are right now. Um, yeah, they're, you know, they're the, a top the, 10 defense right now. Yeah, and, and, and the numbers say they might be due for some uh, for some regression there to be able to fall back. That said, Durant has been so good as a weak side defender. He's been so good as a helper. Uh, he's 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 just been a tremendous facilitator and cog. Steph, Steph is he's incredible. I have no problem with the Steph pick. He's having an unbelievable year, but... But like the the true shooting, for example, it's it's not where you normally see. It's under sixty percent, which isn't bad. Like fifty is a fifty nine yep. right now, which is which is certainly not bad. It's good, and league average true shooting percentage is is down this year from where it was in right. years past. But if we're just talking league MVP level, like that's actually not quite where you expect 
a Steph number to be. Like he's in during his great years, like he's in the mid sixties. Um, and, and so I, I, I have no problem with a Steph pick. Everything the Warriors are doing is because of that guy. Period. That that, that is that is it. Uh, right. But but I think you could say the same thing about Brooklyn with KD. Uh, and I just I think he's I think he's the superior player, having just by a hair of the superior year. Yeah, you've sold me that this is closer than what I thought. Whenever I like put together my ballot a little bit, like my my immediate response was. It's going to look silly to have Steph Curry not at number one, given that Golden State has been the best team in the league, given that Golden State has been, I mean, like, from a narrative perspective, like, they've been the story of the league. And, like, I don't really consider narrative whenever I pick my personal ballot, but, like, in terms of, like, the perception of what that would be, like, it's it's hard for me to go past just looking at everything Steph does for the Warriors, I mean, he makes that situation work. Like, there's with Steph, it's like more than numbers. Like, I, I with Kevin, I don't want to say he doesn't contribute beyond the numbers because, like you said, he's been really good defensively this year. He's been really good in a number of facets um, that don't always necessarily show up on the box score. But I think you can get a lot of what Kevin Durant does from the box score at the end of the day because he's just the best scorer in the NBA. He's like the most efficient, like deadly assassin scorer, like arguably maybe in league history outside of Seth, right? And he's having a better season than Seth is this year. So with Steph, so much of what he does is like opening shit up for other players. Like he sprints off of screens. He screens constantly. Uh, their offense runs in part and why someone like Jordan Poole can average 18 points and be as effective as he is. Cause I, again, like I mentioned on the last week's show, like I haven't really loved the minutes I've seen from Jordan Poole whenever he has to like run the second unit uh, for the Warriors. I, I think he's much more effective playing as like that off ball scoring thread who attack closeouts and drives and is able to play that way. I like oh, the way Steph opens up the floor for Jordan Poole is unbelievable. Whenever he's on the court, the way that Steph opens up the court for um, guys like Otto Porter to step up in a big way, guys like Gary Payton Jr. Like unless you have Stephen Curry, it's often hard to get someone like Gary Payton Jr. on the court because of his lack of offensive ability and shooting. And Gary Payton Jr. has been one of the most valuable defensive players per minute this year. I couldn't quite get him on an all-defense ballot because he just hasn't played like a crazy yeah, amount of minutes. he's only 17 minutes a game, yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah, but no, uh, that, per- that... Oh, I covered him in Washington. Like, he gets into ball handlers. He's always been like this. He is outrageous yeah. defensively. Yeah, and like the a lot of the reason that you can get him on the court is playing him next to Steph and like making it work that way. So I think that there are other factors in terms of the way that Steph makes Golden State run more efficiently from a team construct uh, that can't really be judged in the box score. And oh, by the way, like he's averaging 27 points and six assists and you know, set the fucking three point record this year. Like it's. You see a lot of it in the box score, but like you watch the games and you're like, oh my God, like this guy is unlike anything I've ever seen play basketball. So I have Steph right now. I absolutely think that it's open in the second half of the year. Like if Kevin Durant continues on this trajectory, I will say like too, I would over the second half 
of this like midseason, so like the second quarter of the season, right? I think KD has been better than Steph. Like I would say, like he has caught up a little bit from the Warriors, like crazy start and everything. So, yeah, you've kind of you've sold me that this is a legit race, even right now. Um, let alone like going forward into the future, which I always thought. Yeah, I mean, I recognize that I'm in the minority on this one. When uh, you know Tim Bontemps over at ESPN sends does it does the straw poll for MVP voting and texts a hundred media members and asks what our ballots are. Uh, you know, I, I sent in KD to him. This was a few weeks ago. I sent in KD to him and I had Steph second. And I figured I'd be in the minority and that Steph would be first. Uh, and I was only one of two KD voters in, of the 100, which I was surprised uh, uh, yeah. it was that small. It was before KD went on this little run recently. I think there would probably be more than two now. Um, yeah, that's what but, I was going to say. But yeah, I recognize him in the minority, but I, I, I feel good about it. Look, there. I don't think Steph is a bad choice. I have no problem with him being up there. He's spectacular, and he's been spectacular this year. Um, and everything that you said is true. Like everything that the Warriors are able to do is because of his not just his shooting, but his movement and the way that five guys have to be locked in on him. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think I think uh, Brooklyn. You could say very similar stuff. Uh, the difference is that KD just isn't doing it in as flashy of a way he's just so much more like uh methodical you know yeah yeah i mean he's a metronome of efficient basketball like it's pretty wild um okay let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be back to do more uh awards here we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, 
to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. Nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, and we are back. Let's go to Defensive Player of the Year, Fred. Um, three through one. Give me your ballot. Uh, Rudy Gobert, three. Yep. Which was, yeah, I mean, Utah is back up into the top five, six defensively right now. And you watch them, and it's like they're still having the same problems they had against the Clippers. Hey, guys are not staying in front of guys in the perimeter. And and Gobert has just been an absolute terror around the rim like he always is. Um, I, I feel like I don't really need to justify Rudy Gobert that much. Dude's won a million defensive players of the year. Um, you know, I just think a couple other guys have been a little bit better than him so far, but he could he could end up winning it again. Wouldn't surprise me. I, I'd Rudy at number two. Um it feels like Utah has had more games this year where the defense has just been like not good. Like weirdly, like actually like bad, strangely. And look, I, I don't blame like Rudy across the board for that or anything. Um, I, I certainly don't even blame him for that. Like in, in like full, uh, I think that Utah has some structural deficiencies in terms of foot speed. And I think teams uh, also like over the course of time have figured out how to take advantage of what Utah does defensively because you give teams essentially three years of runway of tape to kind of figure things out, especially ones that they played in the playoffs. It, you're going to kind of get figured out in some le- on some level, right? I'm not saying that they're not a good defensive team because they are, because Rudy Gobert is as elite as you'll find. But, like, I think that they're, like, sixth or seventh in defensive efficiency this season as opposed to, like, the incredible heights that they've reached with Rudy over the course of the last few years. I still have Rudy at two, to be honest. Yeah, they're fifth. I don't think it's really his fault, to be honest. Like, No, it's it's the guys on the Mike, perimeter. Like, Mike it's, Conley it's is not is not kind of the shutdown defensive point guard that he was in Memphis, which is fine. Yep. That's what happens when you've been in the league for, what, 14 years or however long Conley's been in the league. Uh, I, I think Joe Ingles is is not quite the guy that he was defensively as well, which, again, like he's in his 30s. Royce O'Neal yep. does a really nice job for them. He's really, really staunch on the perimeter. But, like, guys get to the middle of the floor. That's just – that is what yep. happens when you watch those Utah games and Gobert cleans everything up. Uh, I think he's he's been spectacular this year. Yeah, he's uh, been great, which is why I have him at two, personally. I would imagine you, you at three. I had Giannis at three. We're agreeing too much. I had Giannis at two. Yeah. yeah. Um, not a surprise, honestly. Like I think that the top three in Defensive Player of the Year this year are pretty clear. Um, who, are, who are some of the other guys that you consider? We talked a lot about Giannis's defense in the last... That uh, discussion. So I, I don't know that we need to like dive deep on it before we get to number one, who I know we're going to agree on at this point. Um, oh, who are some of the 100%. other guys? Yeah. Who are some of the other guys you considered even? Um, 
I consider it Alex Caruso. Yeah, I, I I would have Caruso as my best guard defender thus far this year, along with Mikael Bridges. He has been great leading the league in steals. He's almost leading the league in deflections. Like he he has been just remarkable for them. I I almost uh I I really, really considered throwing him on there. Uh I ended up not doing it. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a little harder for me to justify putting a bench guard, um, but we'll we'll talk about Caruso a little later, I think, too. And uh, yeah, he's I'll save it for them. But he's uh, he is having an incredible year, and he has the minutes to justify it now. Twenty eight a game, uh, and and the Bulls are just a different team when him and Lonzo are on the floor. Yeah, uh, I also legitimately considered Evan Mobley for a minute. Um, I, I'm not going to say yeah, like cool. I. Yeah, we might talk about Evan later on uh, when we do all defense because I'll kind of scratch together an all defense team. He wouldn't be on my first team, but I would imagine he will be on my second team. Uh, The Cavs have the third best defense in the NBA right now, and he is the best defensive player on the third best defense in the NBA. That is impossible to me. This team has been abysmal defensively over the last three years, 30th, 30th, 25th in the league defensively uh, before drafting Evan Mobley. Uh, I think that Jared Allen has been really good defensively as well. I don't want to like shrink his impact on that. Like I've never actually been a fan of Jared Allen on defense. I think he's been pretty overrated based on blocks, to be honest. But this year he's been very good. He's been very, very good defensively. And I've been very impressed. Um, Let's go to number one, though. Uh, number one has to be Draymond Green, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he is. Everything that Steph is for them on offense, Draymond is for them on defense. The way that we that yeah. you were talking about how, like, Draymond is a defensive playmaker. The way he yeah. is able to just thwart every single action on the perimeter, then recover to to defend the rim. I mean, they have the best defense in the league by far right now. They're allowing 102 points per 100 possessions. They're like two points better than the second place team per 100. Uh, and, and, and so much of it is just that guy has been for sure the best defensive player in the league this year. And he's he's just he's brilliant to watch like there aren't that many players there are a million players who i can talk about basketball with and learn about basketball from there Mm -hmm. aren't that many players who you can learn about basketball from by watching them play you know what i mean we're like you see somebody do something and you're like oh i didn't know that you were actually like i didn't know that was a thing i didn't know that you were able to help that way but the way that he is able to see, recognize actions, recognize plays, recognize cuts, and be able to guard three, four guys on on possessions is it's it's like nothing anybody else in the league can do. I don't know. Look, I've been very clear that like I think Draymond Green should have been on the NBA seventy five team. Like I, I like the the whole conversation with Clay versus Draymond Green, like around NBA seventy five, kind of broke my brain that like Clay was the guy that people were upset about. To me, it, it's like so clear that Draymond Green is the more important player and has been for a long time uh, to their dynasty, 
essentially, or whatever, this long extended run of success. Like, I don't even know if you want to call it a dynasty or not, but like whatever you want to call this, where they've been great and basically since this core has been together. You can make the case that like Rudy Gobert is the scheme, right? You can make a case that, um, you know, any other big center, Brooke Lopez to an extent has been a big portion of the scheme in Milwaukee as a rim protector, right? I'm not sure I've ever seen a non-center who is the scheme in the same way that Draymond Green is the scheme defensively. Like, he unlocks everything that you can do. And, like, they don't switch quite as much as what they have in the past, but he's still so good defensively in help. And he's so good uh, as a center defender, which by the way, he's doing more of this year than he ever has before. And he's one of the most impactful center defenders in the league because of his ability to guard in multiple ball screen situations, his ability to uh, protect the rim with his length. I've just been, I'm, I'm blown away. And then on top of it, and look, this is going to be a weird thing to say because we're talking about a defensive award. But I do think that it's worth considering that Draymond Green's defensive ability and his ability to finish possessions with rebounds or with you know pick sixes or things like that, whatever you want to say, deflections, etc. His ability to then lead the break and quickly transition to offense legitimately adds points to what Golden State does. Like, I know that this is a defensive award versus an offensive award, but I think that the ability to legitimately improve a team's transition offensive play starts with defense. And that has to be considered on some level. Kind of. I don't know if I... Yeah. I don't know if I'm throwing in Draymond's offense. I'm I'm, I'm happy to do that with... uh, well, that's the we only about place him that you would throw in Draymond's offense, yeah. right? I mean, like he's, he's been incredible. I have him, I have him yeah. on my all-NBA team this year, too. I do, too. He, he, uh, he, I, agree, I actually agree with you in terms of his actual importance and in terms of the scheme. And, and, and you know, you're probably right. He's, he's probably the only non-center player ever who's been this scheme. Just because, you know, with like the old illegal defense rules and stuff, you couldn't you couldn't pull something like that off with a wing. Right. So, so it, it he probably is the only. I mean, there's probably not somebody in 1962 who we're forgetting about just because like the, the, the only the only guy that came to that mind when I was thinking about that was Scotty was Scotty Pippen. Like I, I would imagine sure. on some level, like the Bulls look like. Uh, I'm too young to like know exactly what defensive schemes like Phil Jackson was running with the Bulls, right? Um, but I would imagine that like Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, their ability to completely and utterly shut down the wing, like that probably on some level was the scheme for the Bulls. Yes, yeah, sure. Right? And back then, back then, so much of defense was just like guard your man. Just bear right. down and guard your man. Yeah. That's what you got to do because the rules were just totally different. And now there are so many more, even if you don't play a zone, there are so many more zone concepts. Like the Warriors use so many zone concepts, which they apply to Draymond, which makes him so much better of a defender that you weren't yep. just weren't allowed to do before 2002 or whatever year it was. Yep. Uh, Ka- Kawhi with the Spurs might be another example of that. I mean, when yep. Kawhi won his couple of defensive players of the year when, when he was in San Antonio, I mean... 
that's definitely an example of that. Everything they were able to do defensively was because of him. But you know what, though? Like, to that point again, like, so much of that was guarding his man. Like, with Dre... It's not even like guarding his man. It's guarding his man and simultaneously guarding someone else's man because he's so good in help defense and so intelligent with his positioning. Like people constantly compare draft prospects to Draymond Green. And I'm just like, this guy is unlike anything we've ever seen on a basketball court. His brain is a supercomputer. Like he is... I think legitimately one of the five smartest players or 10 smartest players to ever play in the NBA point blank period. You can't get by with the physical tools that he has without that. You can't be as effective as he is on the court without being like he's when Draymond Green entered the NBA, he was like a 260 pound overweight center. He's still like, not in the best shape of like based off of NBA player type, right? And that guy is one of the 15 best players in the NBA. Are you kidding me? He is though. Like he is unequivocally one of the best players in the NBA and he's the best defensive player in the NBA. It's Draymond Green is honestly, I think he's like one of my two or three favorite players in the league. I, I, it's great. I could talk about Draymond Green for hours on end. Um, okay, <laughs> let's go to Coach of the Year. Yeah. All right, Coach of the Year. Uh, should I go first again? Yeah, go for it. Coach of the Year is hard. There uh, are a lot of good ones this year. There are no bad coaches anymore. I disagree. You know that? But I feel like... <laughs> as so, I feel as someone like, who well, bets on basketball, I disagree. <laughs> I feel like there are way fewer bad coaches. Like, there used to be way more coaches who were just, well, like, behind the eight ball completely. Well, we got and, rid of Luke Walton. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't good for my bank account, but it, it was nice uh, from a point really hard. Like, you could just always vote for Eric Spolstra. If you just always wanted to vote for Eric Spolstra yeah. for Coach of the Year, I'd be like, okay, sure. Yeah. You can literally always justify voting for Eric Spolstra just whenever you want. It's just there. It's, this award gets very hard. I, I put, I put Steve Kerr third. Yeah, um, I get that. Yeah. I, I know conventionally this award is basically which team exceeded expectations the most. Right. I, I strong, my first guy off, I, I, I strongly consider JB Bickerstaff. I have JB very high. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I again, it's such a it's such a hard and unprovable award that right. I'm like whatever. That's that's fine. I mean, I I had JB Bickerstaff very high. The reason why I didn't put him on was because I think the Cavs outperform my expectations. Bickerstaff's done a really good job. I wouldn't have considered him if I didn't think that, uh, but. I think the Cavs outperforming expectations is more because of a misevaluation of our expectations than because they've been coached into something else. Like Evan so, Mobley uh, being this good against right off the bat is because Evan Mobley is this good. You know I, what I, I mean? I get that, but I firmly disagree with it also. Um, I think the part of what you're saying is right for sure. I have J.B. Bickerstaff at number one. Like, I'm just going to say that from the jump. J.B. Bickerstaff Great. is my coach of the year so far. Yeah. And I'm this. really happy with this. Uh, they're the, think about the way the league has gone over the last five years, six years, seven years, whatever we want to say, right? How many teams start two seven-footers? Like, zero, essentially? Cavs start three. 
<laughs> like the fact that they've been able to make a scheme work with Lowry Markinen, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. It's on the players. Like I don't want to take anything away from the players. They've done an incredible job. And frankly, those seven footers have very complementary skill sets of one another, especially offensively. Jared Allen's an incredible rim runner. Evan Mobley's the connective tissue playmaker. Lowry Markinen's the spacer, right? Like the even theoretically, the skill sets do work together on paper. The problem is defense. And for them to have a top three defense in the league, starting three seven-footers, two of whom, like, I think Jared Allen's improved a lot in terms of mobility. He's still, like, a center in terms of mobility, right? Like, he's not, he's not like, even a, I would say, like, maybe he's a plus center in terms of mobility. He's a, he's not, he's a, he's a very good drop center. Yes, he is a pure drop center. You do not want him switched out onto an island with other guards. Lowry Markinen is... Another pure drop center, essentially. Like, he's not quick enough to guard other players. Evan Mobley is fucking phenomenal and incredible and unbelievable. And he can guard literally everyone on the court. But to make it work whenever you have two of those guys who aren't all that mobile is unlike anything that is currently happening in the NBA right now. They've also dealt now with multiple injuries with Ricky Rubio and Colin Sexton. I don't think we should give too much credit for the Rubio injury, given that he's played most of the minutes so far that we're accounting for within this season. But losing Colin Sexton is a legitimate adjustment. Like you could maybe make the case that it made them play Rubio more and thus made life easier for J.B. Bickerstaff. But... I think that it's remarkable that we're sitting here. The Cavs are, if I remember correctly, like 21 and 17 right now, something in that ballpark. And nobody, nobody saw that. I didn't see that. I, I didn't think it was close. And that goes back to the expectations game. But I also think it's just worth saying that it's more than that. Like they're doing something that is unlike anyone else in the NBA right now. They are zagging while the rest of the league is zigging, whatever you want to say. And they're making it work. And to me, that's coaching as much as it is talent because this team is not overly talented, right? Like they're a talented NBA team with a lot of young guys, but like they're not a team that I thought would be 500 yet at this point. And I think J.B. Bickerstaff's put them in a position to be able to do that. You make a very convincing argument. Yeah. That said, I still have him at four. Yeah, I get that. Let's go to number two. You had Steve. Yeah. I don't know that we need to talk about Steve Kerr. Like Steve Kerr, like has put these guys in like an incredible position. It, exactly. It's been I mean, look, all so the far. stuff that you said about about Steph and and the way they run their offense and the motion that they have and just the general beauty they have in their offense. Like, yes, Steph is Steph is the linchpin for that and the most important guy. But somebody's got to design that thing, and somebody has to get buy in, and somebody has to make sure all those players are playing their role to the best of their abilities and just like all their role guys are just maxing out their potential and the way that they play they're so cohesive on both sides of the ball they're just an unbelievably well coached team number two uh i have taylor jenkins that was also my number two wow i think i think he's done an incredible job i mean they missed jaw for 12 games and they went 10 and 2 over those games it was a little bit of a light stretch but they started the year about a month into the season, they were 30th in points allowed per possession. And then in those 12 games that Ja missed, they were number one in points allowed per possession. I mean, they could not have turned. They just couldn't have turned their season around more. Uh, getting Dylan Brooks back was a huge part of that for them. 
Yeah. Uh, but- I also want to call someone out. I've been a little bit critical of Jaron Jackson in the past defensively, not living up to what we thought he would be as a prospect. Jaron Jackson has taken the leap defensively, too. He's been really, really good defensively. He's been great as a weak side rim protector, great uh, as a primary rim protector in the moments where he has to be, and he's been very switchable on the perimeter. I think he's a big part of why that scheme has worked so far. Yeah, I like that extension that they gave him. They, I, Their core just makes a lot of sense together. But t- Taylor Jenkins has done... He's done a great job. I love what they have going in Memphis. Ja is progressing. It, it, not even how you would want. I mean, beyond what you would hope for if you're the Grizzlies. Yep. I mean, he's he is an All NBA caliber point guard now. Uh, it, I just I think Jenkins has done a, a a really great job putting together that team. Yep. And then who do you have at number one? Billy Donovan. Yeah, I had Billy Donovan I mean, at three. So yeah, yeah. I mean, talking talking about exceeding expectations. He's to me take. Putting together young guys in a position to win where they develop is certainly not easy. But like mm-hmm. to me, the hardest thing that a coach can do is take all of these veterans who have already kind of become the players that they're going to be. We already know what their strengths yeah. are, what their weaknesses are, and they already have egos because they have all the success. And there's a little bit of clashing here and there. And then a coach says, you know what? I'm going to find a way to make all this work anyway. I think Billy Donovan's best, and I covered Billy when I was covering the Thunder. I think his best trait as a coach is just his general lack of stubbornness. At the beginning of his coaching career, I remember one of the criticisms of him was, I don't really know what Billy Donovan's principles are as a coach. What what Mm. does he value? And Mm. I think the answer to that, as we've seen over time, is he values adjustment to the players. His first year as a head coach, 15-16 Thunder. That was the Russ and KD Thunder played totally different from the following year. KD leaves the Russ MVP year. Then the yep. next year, you have Russ PG, totally different team. Then Russ gets traded. You have the Chris Paul Thunder, and he's playing like three point guard lineups to close games, yep. which is just, and it's a total motion ball movement offense, and they totally exceed expectations. And now these Bulls play a completely different way. Uh, they've exceeded expectations, especially defensively. Uh, a lot of that is because Ball and Caruso have both been spectacular but he's got Vucevic playing good defense uh it it, it, it's another situation kind of like Kerr where it's like I feel like every guy there is just maximizing their talent level right now and maximizing their production in their roles I, I think he's I think he's done a great job this year the the only reason that I had him at number three as opposed to one or two was because I think a lot of the credit there also goes to Arturis Karnisivas. He would be my pick for executive of the year, personally. And I think that Arturis made life on Billy Donovan as easy as possible in that regard by acquiring players who have wholly unselfish mindsets. Because I agree with you, the hardest thing that a coach can do is make a big group of veteran free agents work together and gel together from the jump. Right. I think that this group and particularly the acquisitions of Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, like, look, like we we just named DeMar DeRozan like fifth on our MVP ballot. Right. Like we're not minimizing that. That's legitimately been the acquisition of the year so far for Carnesivis. Right. But the additions of Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball, two guys that are wholly unselfish, don't care if they have the ball, don't care if they like have to go out and defend for 35 minutes a night going out and drafting someone like Io DeSumo going out and acquiring someone like Javante Green who 
both of those guys just go out and run their ass off defensively for, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night. I think that Arturis Karnisovic deserves just as much, if not more, frankly, credit for this roster in constructing it in a way that makes sense based on personalities, skill sets, unselfishness, and everything than Billy Donovan, frankly. And, like, that's that's okay. Like, I think that they both deserve an immense amount of credit, which is why Billy Donovan at third. But I, I, that was the tiebreaker for me as to why I went with J.B. Bickerstaff one, Taylor Jenkins two. Yeah, I would just give it to both of them. Yeah, I no, I get that. He's, like, I think he's that's executive of the year, and I just give it to both of them. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to rookie of the year. I've talked a lot about rookie of the year on the podcast. Like, I have Evan Mobley one. I have Scotty Barnes two. Franz Wagner three. Um, I'll just kind of give you the floor on this one because I think listeners of the show have heard me extrapolate for hours on end at this point about it. Yeah. So I have Evan Mobley one. I have Franz Wagner two, and I have Scotty Barnes three. Sure. So why do you have Scotty and? Uh, Franz flipped. You know, it was Franz versus Scotty Barnes is it was really really tough just because it's hard to evaluate Franz Wagner because he just kind of has the leeway to do whatever he wants on a bad team. Yeah. And and they're just kind of letting him take over and say go get your stuff. I think his game honestly, I just think his game is so refined right now. Franz yeah. Wagner like he's shooting well, he's passing well, he's taking guys off the dribble with this kind of this this maturity that you don't normally see, um, and so that kind of was why I I put him up there. He leads all rookies in scoring right now, uh, and he's doing it on totally solid. It's not like a you know Jalen Green fifteen points a game situation. He's doing it on like fifty five percent true shooting, like completely respectable efficiency. Uh, so it was really close. Scotty Barnes, a hell of a defender. He's going to be awesome. Uh, it was really close, but that was why I went with uh, went with Franz. Yeah, no, I, I don't really have a. I think those two are close. I think Evan Mobley is the clear pick at one, and then those two are close enough to where I, I don't really have a strong opinion either way. Like I would go Scotty because I think that over the first like thirty games of the year, Scotty was probably a little bit better than what Franz was. But Franz has been really good lately. Scotty's also been really good lately as well. Um, but I would give the you know, nod to Franz over the last 10 games since he's entered into a more, um, I guess that I would say, central offensive role within the Orlando Magic. Uh, I like how scalable his game is, is something I've said before on the show. Like, he's a guy that I think could play for the Warriors uh, just as well as he would play for Orlando right now. The numbers wouldn't be the same, obviously, but I think he'd have no problem, like, entering that scheme and being fine, which is a real credit to him, even as a rookie. Um yeah, no, I think that that's all. I think that's all right. Uh, yeah, a really interesting thing progression in the NBA right now is that like we used to never ever see rookies who are really good defensively. Like we'd always say he's been really good for a rookie, or maybe yeah. maybe he played really really hard and you saw the potential, or like maybe he was really good guarding the ball but he gambled too much or he didn't know where to be, couldn't figure out schemes. And I feel like every year now there are like three rookies. Who were like, oh, that guy's really good already. Like Evan Mobley, just like ridiculously yeah. good already. Scotty Barnes, re- really good already. Pretty uh, Davion good. Mitchell, yeah. yeah, like Davion Mitchell, like that's a good defender. Um, you know, even even you know the last couple of years, it was like Lou Dort as a rookie, just this undrafted dude was like, that guy's a really good defender right now. Yep. Uh, yep. It's we're we're seeing more. I don't know why it is. 
I, 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 it might just be a coincidence. I don't know why it is, but I feel like there are more, or maybe I'm just wrong, but I just, I feel like there are more NBA ready defenders than there used to be now. No, I think there are. Um, I think that my theory on that would be that teams in general, I think, have gotten better at evaluating defense than they were in the past. Uh, Even like in the eight years that I've been doing draft evaluation, I think there are more refined opinions among front office members uh, that I've spoken to about how good a guy's defense is. I think before it would be like, Oh yeah, like we'll just teach them our scheme, like it'll be fine. As opposed to, hey, let's draft these guys that are really good and reactive defensively. Um, I, and it's hard though. Like I think that th- I think this year particularly though is like an anomaly. Like I, I think that there's, I, I think it's just like totally random that we have Evan Mobley and Davion and these guys that are great defensively. Like next year's draft will not be like this in terms of having this many great defenders early on. Uh, Let's go to most improved. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I don't love this award in general. (laughs) It's, it's such a silly award because, because somebody always comes back to me and, and says, no, my guy is way better than your guy. I'm like, it's not who's better. It's it's who improved the most. It's the yeah. only award that you can make the argument for by arguing that your guy was worse last year. You know, it's <laughs> it's so it's so weird. It's, oh, I it's love that. such a weird award and a weird concept. Uh, yeah. Should I just rattle them off? Rattle was, them off. This year was hard. There's not like someone who's really, really made a leap. Uh Except for one guy who I thought was was my pretty comfortable first choice, but number three I put Dejounte Murray. Yep, uh, that's number I, two on my list. I just think his passing has been on a different level this year, and I've yep. always really liked his game. And he just seems to have put it a lot better. More, I don't I don't put second year guys. I'm not going to put like Desmond Bain. Like I, yeah. I I don't put second year guys. I think that Dejounte Murray has been a lot more comfortable in half court settings as a ball handler, particularly like. Before, I loved his ability in transition. I loved his passing ability like out on the break. I loved his scoring ability out on the break. This year, it seems like in the half court particularly, there's a real pace that he's operating with that has changed from what it's been previously. And he's gone from being a guy that I thought was like, yeah, he'll be like, you know, in the 20 to 30 range in terms of overall value to I would say he's very clearly like going to be a top you know, 12 point guard in the league at some point at this point. Like, I think he's really good. He is a hell of a defender. Yeah. Like really a hell of a defender. Um, number two, I put your boy, Jared Allen. Okay. Yeah. I, I get that. I like that. I don't have my mind, but I like it. Yeah. It's not just the defense. It's not just the defense. Like he is a really, he was always a good pick and roll center because he was such a lob threat, but now he's yep. making plays like, He's a much better passer as well. Uh, he is he's really making decisions with the ball. He's he's not just finishing lobs. He's he's able to finish around the rim like with with skill. Um, I think the counting numbers are are a little bit better. I I don't think they they fully represent how much better I think he is as a player right now. I think he's I think he's really become I think he's become a really really good player. Yeah. And then who do you have at number one? I would imagine My, we're gonna have the same. Right, Miles Bridges. That's mine as well. Yeah. I, I, I will take it back to the last time I was on this podcast. Like, 
when was that? I don't oh, know. Over God. the summer. Uh, yeah. And we talked about Miles Bridges' last month of last season. When we were when we were I think we were ranking Eastern Conference teams and we were we were discussing like Miles Bridges averaged twenty one and seven over the last month of last season and shot like forty two percent from three. Yep. Does is it real? Because if it is, he's gonna win most improved player next year. And then what do you know? Here we are. It's real. It's real. He's awesome. And yeah. oh my god, he's like beyond awesome. It's not a reason to vote for him, but he really has a case as like most like one of the most fun players in the league to watch. His yeah, I mean the, the pairing like, with him and Lamelo is unbelievable. It's so much it's fun. Amazing. Uh, his shooting has regressed since like the steamy start that it was on. Like he was unbelievable at the beginning of the year. Um, he's shooting thirty two from three now. Uh, I think he's very clearly the most improved player in the league. He's averaging like twenty points and seven rebounds and like doing everything that you would hope that someone like him would do. His passing is really good as well. Um, yeah, I, I had Miles Bridges one. I had Dejounte Murray two, and I had oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, Darius Garland was my third actually. I had Darius Garland at three. Uh, just the pace and tempo he's playing as an on-ball uh, player this year, I think, has been remarkable. He's another guy where like a lot of what we're seeing this year, his it was there last year, like at the end of the year. Um, he was actually really really good to close the year and like by the midpoint of last year. Um, but I, I just think people are actually recognizing it now. And despite the fact that defenses are playing him differently, like he is their primary scoring and passing threat, he's adjusted to it. And he's made uh, made the Cavs like at least passable on offense, despite the fact that they're playing three centers. It, it's really incredible to me. Um, okay, sixth man of the year. This is an award that, again, I do not care about. <laughs> All right, we'll go quick then. Uh, I'm scrolling to it. Where did I put my six man? Here we go. Uh, number three, I had Montrez Harrell. Okay. Uh, Lamarcus Aldridge just narrowly missed. I uh, quite honestly, I'm not that enthusiastic about Montrez Harrell. He's he's fallen off the last few weeks, uh, but got off to such a hot start uh, and was responsible for the Wizards' hot start. Uh, that it's still a large enough portion of the season to where I feel like he deserves to be on the ballot. Uh, yep. He's the advanced numbers always favor him, uh, and and the Wizards have been much better when he's been playing. So I, I, I'm good with that. Lamarcus Aldridge, by the way, ha- what a great story. I mean, I he he could yeah, end up getting onto the ballot by the end of the year. He's been the best mid-range shooter of any big man in the league this year. He's maybe been the best mid-range shooter of any player in the league. I think he's shooting 58% on long twos, just like obscene. Um, it's impossible. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's what a great story with, with what he went through last year, being able to come back this year and play great. But I have, I have Harrell three. Uh, should I go to two? Yeah, just go to two and one. All right, I'll just run through <laughs> it. Number two, I had Alex Caruso. That was my number two. Uh and we'll talk about Caruso in a sec. Uh, yeah. Number one, I had Tyler Hero. I also had Hero at one. I honestly didn't three? even bother mentioning a third guy. The, the, I think those two are like <laughs> the protest. clear. Yeah, like I, I just don't care about sixth man of the year, to be honest. Like, it, it's we got to get out of award. our echo chambers, Sam. Like we didn't, we discussed yeah. none of this. We ran through none of this and our picks are too similar. Yeah, I know. It's frustrating. <laughs> I wonder if All-NBA is going to be that different for us. I th- that's what we're up to now. We're up to All-NBA. Um, guards, I have Steph Curry, 
DeMar DeRozan. Uh, where is my... Actually, I need my list. Holy shit. Um, I didn't think I would. Uh, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic. That's my first team. So the top five MVP guys. So I did it a little differently because I had DeMar as a forward. Okay. Um, I just thought... So DeMar was on my second team. So I have the same guys. I have Curry... Giannis, Durant, Jokic, and I, I put John Morant first team. Yeah, John Morant was my third guard, so he was at, uh, He's my first second team guard. So, um, yeah, talk about Ja. What what is what has impressed you? Everything. Oh my god, <laughs> he he looks like he gets compared to Westbrook so much. I think he's got a little more MVP Derrick Rose in him. That's uh, that's the name I brought up to an NBA scout yesterday, actually. Yeah, the way he attacks the rim is so unbelievably ferocious. It really feels like MVP Rose. I know early in the year, the on-off numbers were just horrendous for him. At one point, they were like 14 points per 100 worse when he was on the floor. Um you know, Seth Partnow has, you know, the analytics guru, Seth Partnow has talked about how those numbers were really noisy. Uh, they've, they've come back down now. They're, they're down like way, way, way more reasonable number now. And I have to imagine that's that's going to turn. He he is such a spectacular passer. Yeah. The the way that he is able to find cutters just runs that entire Memphis offense. I mean, people talk about the breaks and the scoring. He's shooting way better. I don't have the numbers called up right now, but he's shooting way better than he has. Uh, if he's going to be a jump shooter like this, like I just I don't know how you stop him because not that many guys who have that kind of athleticism and speed also have a change up at his age. And now his ability to run pick and roll, run half court offense, control pace, uh, it's 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 pretty unmatched. Like he is really one of the best, one of the absolute top tier one point guards in the league now. Um, and deserves. I considered throwing him on, you know, number five on my MVP ballot. Um, I ended up going Demar, but he's he's pretty great. All right, give me your second team All NBA. Yeah, and to be clear, the reason why I didn't put Demar first team was just because I think there are more good guards, more All NBA deserving guards this year than there are All NBA deserving forwards. So that's I a slid, good point. So I slid DeMar over to forward just so I could get the right the guys. So I, I wanted to make sure that I maximized the, the best 15 as opposed to the best five in the first team. Yeah. Um, my second team, my guards are Donovan Mitchell and Chris Paul. My okay. forwards are DeMar and LeBron. And my center is Rudy Gobert. Okay. I have John Morant and Chris Paul. I have Paul George and LeBron. And then I have Joel Embiid. And I know that Joel has missed time. I just can't get past the fact that I think on a per minute basis, Joel Embiid is one of the five most impactful players in the NBA. I think that he is damn close to Rudy Gobert offensively or defensively. I'm sorry. He's not quite what Rudy is defensively, but he's close enough. And offensively, it's just not a comparison. Like, I I totally understand that Rudy, I think Rudy deserves a lot of credit and he's definitely my third team center. I, I just can't get past Joel Embiid. At number at like that second spot, that's fine. That was a really difficult one. Gobert has been so important defensively this year. He's been the best rim protector in the league again. And yep. uh, with Embiid, the the efficiency is down with Embiid. He's shooting under fifty yep. percent on two pointers this year, which 
I mean, Lyad and Bede third team, and it was really close. Uh, but but just seeing the efficiency down with Embiid, um, and and Gobert, honestly, Gobert is a better offensive player now than he's ever been. He can do yeah. some stuff with the ball. He he can post up when he needs to, and efficiently. Like he, I think people think of him as just a rim diving center and absolutely nothing more. Like I think people think of him the yep. way they thought of like Clippers DeAndre Jordan. It's not it's not the case anymore. Uh, it, Gobert's just been so valuable for them, but it was really close. And you're not wrong to put Embiid there. Should we go third team? Okay. Yeah, give me your third team. Should we go honorable mentions before we go third team? Guys we considered? No, let, let's go third team. Okay. I, I wonder if we're going to have some differences here. Okay, cool. So guards, I went... Yeah, we'll have differences because third team is hard. Guards, I went Devin Booker and Trey Young. Uh, okay, I did not have Devin Booker, so that's interesting. I do have Trey Young as a third team guard, though. I yeah. have Zach Levine in that spot. Yeah, I considered I considered Levine. Uh, forwards, yeah. I went Draymond Green and Luka. And center, yep. I went Embiid. Yeah. So, un- unfortunately, we are a bit similar. I went Draymond Green and Luca, uh, third team forwards as well. Okay. Um, well, let's, a- let's, uh, let's talk about Zach Levine versus Devin Booker. So, yeah. Interesting, interesting comparison between those two. I went with Zach Levine almost purely based off of the numbers. I don't feel awesome about that necessarily, but Zach across the board is just kind of better. Like he's averaging 27 points a game versus Devin Booker's 24. He's averaging, I think like the same number of rebounds per game. He's averaging, uh, I believe like the same number of assists per game and he's doing so uh, on just about the same efficiency or no, he's actually doing so on much better efficiency. I'm sorry than what Devin Booker is so far. So I literally just went by the numbers on those two. I think that like, they're so close in terms of like when you watch them on court impact, like it looks very similar, but like, I, I frankly just did it by the numbers on those guys. Like, I, I think that there's a good case for both. If you want to put both. Yeah. You could easily have both. I, Levine was my second guy who I had off. I actually had Drew Holiday a little ahead of him. Not that I have, I probably don't have sufficient evidence to to put those guys up. But Drew Drew's been so good defensively for them. Like you talk about the Bucks defense yeah. raising up. It's like, I I think Holiday's having a great year. But um, yeah, what what a, like me, thinking about my second team all defense team that I have to put together. Drew will definitely be second team all defense for me. For me with Booker, the problem with Booker this year is he's he's shot way worse inside the three point line. Like he hasn't been nearly yep. the finisher uh, that he's been in seasons past. But he's he's shooting forty two from three now. Um, I think he's a superior passer and a superior defender, which kind of broke broke the broke the barrier there a little bit for me but i mean yeah i I don't think that's wrong for what it's worth i I don't know about passer i think they're both pretty close as passers um defensively though i think devin has improved a lot defensively not to say zach is bad defensively because i don't think he is anymore like i think he's gotten to a point where like he's hit a level where it's okay i do think devin is a bit better defensively i always thought levine's defense was overly criticized to be honest just because yeah he always tried really hard. It was never like he, he like yeah. It was never like Zach it's Levine strength. doesn't. It's not yeah. yeah. It's not working. It was yeah. never Zach Levine doesn't care about defense, and it's like so much of it is if if you put in the effort to just work really really hard at defense, eventually if you care that much and you're really athletic, you'll probably become yeah. passable at it. And so, so yeah, I'm I'm with you on that front. I 
Levine's having a great year. And Trey, meanwhile, is playing for a losing team, but it's just like this dude is putting up outrageous numbers. And you know what? Yeah. For all the talk of the new foul rules and how that is going to attack guys like Trey and Harden, you know what? It has affected Trey. He's not getting to the line nearly as much, and he's better. He is yes. he is shooting better than he ever has. He makes passes that should not be possible. Uh, he he makes these wraparound passes. Uh, you know, Zach, Zach Lowe I, was talking about it. I think it was Zach Lowe who was talking about it on his podcast the other day where, where Trey is able to make, I think he was talking about Trey, if I remember right, where he's able to make cross-court passes that people his height can't really make. Normally you see six yeah. six guys making these cross-court passes who can see over the defense. And with Trey, what's yeah, really interesting. He throws interesting, like crazy wraparounds. Right, yeah. Trey throws them under the defense. Where like yeah. he is able to go up at the rim and then wrap around and find guys in the corner. And uh it's he's just look, the Hawks defensive problems, he's a he's a big part of it, but he is a major reason why they're scoring like maniacs still and he's averaging like twenty nine and ten. It's just crazy I numbers think he's if, putting up. Yeah, like if I if I'm being honest with myself I think that he's probably had a better individual season than Chris Paul. Uh, It's just that Chris Paul's ability to organize the Suns, uh, I think that it goes beyond individual with Chris Paul, basically, I guess is my point, where his ability to organize the Suns defensively as well as offensively uh, is just so drastic that I can't really look past it. Um, And also, that's a big reason why I always end up, I feel like I do always end up underrating how good Devin Booker is because of that fact. And that's probably somewhat unfair to Devin Booker. I get that. But, you know, it's it's tough. Like, I, 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 yeah, Devin Booker, I think, would have been my number two guard that I left off. Yeah. Uh, just Shout kind out of thinking Fred about Van it. And I feel too, by the way. Who, yeah, Fred who should be an all-star on this year. one. My goodness, yeah. is he having a season? Fred should be an all-star this year. Like, I have no... no uh, strong strong takes otherwise like i felt bad leaving off donovan mitchell as well um i I did not have him like i I don't i don't feel great about that right like donovan's been great this year uh his efficiency is a little bit better now he's scoring a little bit better inside the basket i mean no i know yeah the and part of that is because i did damar and the guards and you did um Tomorrow as a forward, which frankly, like, was probably the smart move. Like, I think that you probably did that. You probably put in more thought into this than I did in terms of like getting guys into slots that you wanted. Um, but yeah, no, I think you were probably right to do that. And like, what you would have if you included Demar, you'd have uh, Donovan like fifth, right, among your guards. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I would have had so, him third team along with probably uh, Trey, and I would have dumped. I would have bumped uh, Booker. What, what do we do with Anthony Davis? That was one thing that I really struggled on. with. Yeah, because he sneaky has played like twenty seven games. Like it's not like he hasn't played like a you know a crazy amount of like misses this season, given how much other guys have missed games due to COVID absences and everything. I really struggled with not putting him on on some level, just because it's freaking Anthony Davis, but. I don't know. Like, I kind of just don't think he deserves to be on. No, me neither. 
I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, look, we don't have neither of us. We haven't even mentioned Damian Lillard. Who? No, we haven't. But like, I don't even think Dame's had a good year, though. Is the problem? No, me, me yeah. neither. But you know, there there are some major guys who. I mean, look, I don't think Luca is a guarantee, which I kind of thought he was going to be a guarantee going into this, and I was like, eh, like the Mavs are getting oh. pummeled when he's on the floor. They're like eight points yeah. for a hundred worse when he's playing, and they're struggling to put good lineups around him. And you know, he's 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 putting up twenty five, nine, and eight. And at some point, you got to just be like, this guy is one of the most dynamic players in the league. He's putting up 25, 9, and 8. And he he deserves to get on there. And I do believe that. But I he's not a guarantee to be on there, I think, like he was in, in years past. It's a weird – it's just been a kind of a weird year for a lot of guys. Yeah. With Luca and another guy that I want to mention is James Harden. Like, James Harden should not be on these teams right now. James Harden has been much better. Over the last like month True. of the year, he'll probably make and his way onto it by the end of the year. I bet. I think that yeah. like there's a good chance he makes his way onto it by the end of the year. Um, in the case of someone like Luca, I feel similarly. Where I think he's been pretty good to kind of you know, or was pretty bad to start the year because he was out of shape and was just like very heavy. It looked like, and he's gotten better and worked his way into the season. They look a little bit better, I think, now than what they have in the past. And by the way, like. I don't think we could get Kristaps Porzingis in the same tier as these top three centers. Kristaps has been much better. Like, I think that that's a big critical part of this turnaround as well. Um, Bradley Beal was an interesting one for me. Uh, He hasn't been awesome because the three-point ball is not falling, but I don't think you can ignore his impact on the fact that the Wizards are uh, have been hovering around the playoff slash play-in mark so far this year. Better passer Um, than he's ever been right now better passer than he's ever been i would go jalen brown over jason tatum at this point in the season uh i don't know if that will last necessarily but i think that jalen had a case if you wanted to go with forwards and try to load up the guards um trying to think who who else here jimmy butler is another guy like i ultimately when i was trying to do some tiebreakers. Jimmy has played 23 games so far, and that was my tiebreaker as to why not on him as opposed to other guys, right? Like Jimmy's been incredible in some respect in keeping them afloat. Um, Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Van Vliet. Uh, I think that might have been it on my honorable mentions list. Yeah, that's a good list. Yeah. Uh, All defense. Carl Anthony Towns deserves an honorable mention too. Yeah, it's just hard with centers because yeah, it's really like, hard I think with centers. the three I mean, centers. The thing that you might be able to do, which I hate doing, I'm, I, I think the positional versatility is is cool to do, but I don't like doing it when it's dishonest. Like last year, they yeah. made Embiid and Jokic eligible at both because the way it works is you go two guards, two forwards, and a center. In All Star, yeah. it's different. All Star, it's two guards and three front court players. But like last year, so you could fudge the ballot they made him beat in Jokic center and forward eligible it's like Nikola Jokic has never played power forward he didn't play power forward for a second he's the center no if if you're gonna make if you're gonna make Jokic a second position you make him a guard because he's like more their point guard than anything else that's true that's totally true and so like if you really want to get Towns on, I mean, what you could do, I I think there is a cogent argument that if there were no positions at all, Towns is more deserving than like 
Luca. Towns is having a great year, and and Minnesota is another team yeah. that's outperforming expectations. And Towns has been oh. excellent. And I, I think Fred, the people know the people know that the Minnesota Timberwolves are a big part of my heart right now. I love the Minnesota Timberwolves because you want a Rod to are, do well. God damn it! <laughs> Got to no. pull for a Rod. <laughs> I don't really care. A Rod <laughs> seems fine, um, but I, I just love watching that team so much. They're fun. They're, they're Towns, one of my three favorite Towns has teams really been league. amazing. So yeah. if you want, what you could do is you could you could probably I assume they'll do it again. You could put you know Embiid or Jokic or Towns at forward if those guys are forward center eligible. But to me, that's like it's like yeah. even though it's eligible, it's different than like. I, I assume DeMar DeRozan, even though he's played... DeMar's actually played more forward this year than guard, if we're going to go by Probably, like the yeah. true nominal... But like They play him at the four, you know, when they have Caruso totally. and, and Lonzo and, and Levine out there. So, you, you know, but if you put him at guard, that's fine. Like, DeRozan, you can totally justify DeRozan as a guard. I have no problem with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I kind of just wanted um, my top five to be my top five right, MVP. Right, sure. And I have no problem with DeRozan at five. That's different to me than putting Embiid yeah. at forward, you know? Right. No, I agree. I agree totally. Um, okay, all defense teams real quick, because we have to get you out of here because you have to go to uh, a Knicks game. I do. Uh, so, yeah. I, I would – let me let me do this off the top of my head before you back check me on this, because I'm literally – I did not prepare all defense, so this is going to be fun. Great. So, I would have Gobert at center. I would have Draymond and Giannis at the forwards. I would have Caruso and Mikhail Bridges as my guards. <laughs> is that your five? That's literally my entire five, yeah. Okay. Um, and then I would have Drew as a second team. Oh, God. The, the next guard. Oh, God. Um, it's center. I would have... Oh, I would have Joel, I think, still. It's center. Who would I have at my forwards? I, I hate this. We're, we're seven for seven right now. I think these other ones are going to be the ones that change, though. Um... God, I wish that, like, here's the fun one. Like, could you put Miles Turner as a forward? Because he plays a lot with Sabonis. You might be able to, but, uh, you know, I, I thought about Miles Turner. You know, if I were doing my real ballot, I'd, I'd sit down, I'd study it, I'd really go for it. I'm just going off of the Pacers basketball I've watched this year. I actually don't think Miles Turner has been quite as good this year as he was last year. There are too many. I agree with that. There are I too many times where I've seen somebody go at the rim, and Miles Turner is just kind of not really contesting the same way that he used to uh and i think he's still a very good defender and a very good player but i don't i think he had a stronger all defense argument last year and the year before yeah no i, I, I don't i don't feel the need with to that. fudge I the ballot also, to put miles turner on there oh i i would have evan mobley on my list actually like i, I frankly they're a top three defense he's the best uh, defender on that team, in my opinion. Sure. He's the guy that makes the scheme work. I've talked about that at length. So that would be a forward. I have one forward and one guard left. Oh, man. Oh, this is gross. Um, what would I do at the other guard? I would consider DeJounte. I would consider Matisse Thibel. Um <laughs> I would probably go. I would probably go. Get, give me your second team. Sure. So my guards are I have Drew Holiday and I have Lonzo Ball. 
Okay. Uh, I, I probably I would not have both Ball and Caruso. I liked so having Ball and Caruso for the us. sake of the podcast. I thought it would give us a nice jumping point into uh how important they are for the Bulls defense. Uh but I think I think those guys have both been spectacular. Uh Lonzo's length, he just uses his length so so well. Uh and those yeah. guys are the head of that that defense is top ten, and I don't think anybody saw that coming. And spe- it all starts. I mean, you were talking about the '90s Bulls. How about the 2022 Bulls? With like, it all starts at the top. But those guys just—you cannot get to the middle of the floor against that team when those two guys are on the floor. And it, yeah, it, no, that's definitely true. It changes yeah. everything about that defense because the best offense comes when you are able to get to the middle of the floor, and then once you're in the middle, you can get to the rim or you can spray back out for threes or something like that. And you cannot get to the middle of the floor against Lonzo and Caruso. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to kill anybody if they leave Lonzo off. There are a lot of great defenders. Uh, I had Dejounte on my list. I had Fred Van Vliet on my list. I had Fred's a good one. Yep. I had Derek White on my list. Uh, but Derek White's a good one. But uh, you know, Lonzo's been great, and Drew Holiday's Drew Holiday. Um, I had Embiid as my my second center. Um, yep. And I left off Evan Mobley. He was my first guy. I left off. Uh, I don't have a good reason. I just did. I I I put Thibel as one of my second team forwards, and and I I threw Dylan Brooks on there. That Memphis defense has totally changed since he came back. He is so good uh, guarding guys who, who who he's so good at guarding guys who run around screens, any kind of screen. He he fights so hard to stay within the way he's supposed to guard a guy on a screen, and he's so slippery and he's so freaking physical. Uh, he just. I love the way he is guarded this year. I think he's been incredible for them, and he's a huge reason for for their success and their their lead defensively. Yeah, I don't mind that. Um, hmm. Yeah, let's go with Dylan Brooks. Fuck it, why not? I'm in. He's like he's he that dude is he's a legit. He's worth it. Yeah, like he's a he's a good choice. He will I think. punch you um, in the face. He is so physical guarding the perimeter. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to think like who else? Who else did you have at the forward spots? Mobley was the only guy who I had there, and then once I had those guys, I was like, I think this looks good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's go. Wait, who was your other forward then? Thibel. Okay, I just put him as a forward. Yeah, Matisse or Brooks. This is a weird statement for me to make, but like. How much do you consider offense allowing a guy to stay on the court in the all defense team stuff? Do you just consider are, it like this guy plays X number of minutes and thus like so plays X number of defensive possessions? Are you going to pitch me on yeah, Gary yeah. Payton the second right now? Is that why? I kind of want to. I knew to it was going to be Gary Payton the second. Like, no, I mean to me, I, he's so good. <laughs> he's he's unbelievable. But to, but to me, like aggregate impact means something to me. You know, like Dil- yeah. Dylan Brooks. I mean, is, look, like I, I was I was firmly on that side last year with Matisse Thybul. I was firmly on that side two years ago with Chris Dunn as well. So like I'm. Um, I, I do agree with that. I'm also considering that in regard to Thybul as my second team guy. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, Dylan Brooks has missed half the season, but I I felt fine throwing him on because we're halfway in and he's playing now. And by the time the season is done, he'll have played 60-something games and it'll be no problem. Um, With with GP2, like, he plays 17 minutes a game. Like, it's it's tough. He is a great defender. And you can tell me when he's on the floor, he's a more valuable defensive guard than, like, Lonzo Ball. Uh, And I will probably agree with you. But it's it's hard for I think it's hard to argue that he has been more impactful towards de- good defense in 17 minutes than Lonzo has been in starter minutes. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's actually a really good way to put it. Um, okay, this has been fun. But I Fred. love GP. We got to get you out of here. He is. Oh my god, so is good. he fun to watch? He's he's good at everything. On a permanent basis, I do legitimately think he mm, is probably the best defensive guard in the league. That's fine. I like on a per minute basis. I have I think a soft that's accurate, spot, but I agree with you. Like, I have a soft you have spot. To be able to play. Yeah, I have a soft spot for journeyman guards who are incredible defensively and can't figure it out offensively. I think it's because I covered Andre Robertson, and 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 I just grew to appreciate that player. I used to talk about defense with 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 Andre Robertson all the time, and I loved talking about defense with him. The guy just took so much pride in that side of the floor, and I just. I developed an yep. appreciation. I mean, he wasn't a, a journeyman. He was a first-round pick. But I developed an appreciation for guys who clearly had that same dedication but, but couldn't get there because of their offensive game. And I just I feel like so many of those guys, it's like if you just find the fit. Like when I covered Peyton in Washington the whole time, I was like, if he could just, if they could just find – if he could find the right fit, this is he, – he's going to stick. And like I, I, I feel the same way about like Shaq Harrison – where I'm like, if someone can just oh, yeah, find the right yeah. fit for Shaq Harrison, that dude is going to stick, and everyone's going to be like, have the same reaction they've had this season to GP two. You know? Yeah, I'm concerned that Shaq has had a lot of uh, a lot of chances at this point. Unfortunately, I know, but, but I, um, I still I still believe it. I mean, that's he's another guy who just gets into guys like Javon Carter, another one where I I kind of have felt that way forever, where he's just just a hound on the ball. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Fred, this was fun. I, en- I enjoyed fun. this. We'll have you back to do awards at some point because I truly, genuinely appreciate how much care you put into it. Like, I think that it's really important and essential um, as someone that actually does vote on these awards. So, Fred, what do you want to pitch? What do you want to plug? Uh, nothing in particular. You can read my stuff, read about the Knicks over at The Athletic New York. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz. I had a. I mean, I guess this is going up in a couple of days, so uh, yeah, just just check out check out the athletic, subscribe to the athletic, and uh, and and follow me on social media. That's about it. Fred is the best, folks. Just the absolute best. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. I have a mock draft up that you can go read that went live on Thursday. I have rookie rankings up that you can read that went live last Tuesday. Um, I have podcasts up for the last little while seth and i did a really really fun 2019 redraft um go subscribe to the youtube channel uh it is uh game theory w sam vicini i I believe after the backslash for that um you can find the link in the bio somewhere so until next time though we will talk soon folks bye